Hey there, Mavs fans. This is Rolando Blackman. You're listening to Numbers on the Boards with Bobby Corrala and Jeff Skin Wave. Welcome to Numbers on the Boards, your weekly podcast for all things Mavs. I am Bobby Corrella from Mavs.com, and joining me today is Dallas Fort Worth's self-proclaimed foremost Destiny's Child Authority. He is Jeff Skin Wade. Hello, single ladies. Or is that Beyonce that's, solo? That's Beyonce. God, I'm already Man, screwing this thing up. You are really not backing up my claim here. Well, you know what? I'm uh I'm going to uh I'm gonna go back and refamiliarize myself with the Destiny Child's catalog when we talk to Harrison Barnes later. Well, yeah, so we have Harrison Barnes, but it's funny yes. that you mentioned actually um listening to their catalog. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Oh really? So are we doing this now? We're doing this right now. Well, hell, yeah. who saw this coming? Yeah, so one of Destiny's Child's most famous songs mm-hmm. is the great anthem, Say My Name. Yep. Now, did you know... Say my name, say my name. Oh, sorry. I got, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got, I got really uh, Did, you, did you know there. that somewhere out there in the world mm-hmm. is a mysterious B-side alternative remix version featuring who at the time was one of the NBA's most prominent superstars? Did you know that? There's a there's a remix of Say My Name that's got a superstar on it? There is. Um, can you name that player? I have it queued up on my phone, so I'm going to Okay, gonna, I'm can play you help you. me? Um, I'm trying to think about what year Say My Name came out. Um, Let me guess. Did that song come out in 2007? Oh, my gosh. No, way, way before that. Okay, 2002. I was in... I believe I was still in elementary school at the time, so it was probably so this like late 90s? O to O2, somewhere in okay, there. Okay, okay. So there's a prominent, and he's a current NBA superstar? At the time. He, oh, at a, the time a contemporary. he was? Okay, then I'm going to say Meta World Peace. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, you're not too far off. Those The two are linked together uh, by way of winning an NBA championship. Oh, is Lamar Odom on that joint? Uh, no. A little warmer. Uh, is, uh, is, uh, I'm trying to think of who, who I was on that team. A is superstar. Shannon, oh, a superstar. superstar. Kobe's on that joint. He is. How about that? Kobe Bryant. So okay. without further ado, here's Kobe's verse. Out of control, questioning me like I'm a criminal or something. Stole your heart or something, like I'm up to something. You must be great girlfriends, gossiping. Shit, just hate on Kobe because he ain't with them. <laughs> Feel me now, listen how silly you sound, suspecting a voice in the background. Come on now, your trust is foul, checking messages down. How old are we now? You probably hate me now, like Nigel Diamonds. I'm just keeping it real. All right, I want everybody to know that I'm listening to this on a phone. Yeah. Okay, so sometimes mixes aren't good, but my first thought is the producer and the engineer are like, all right, we need to bring his vocals down in the mix. We don't want to really highlight him too much because I think he just ate biscuits with honey on him <laughs> and then didn't drink anything because there's a little mumble. And this is before mumble rap. Uh, but he was he inspired future. He kind of did. He started <laughs> he started the whole thing. Uh, I you know that's funny, man. It's like a guy like Kobe rapping for me is it's almost always like all right. I go in with a real jaundiced attitude of like all right. How bad will this suck? As opposed to. Damian Lillard, and I don't know if that's fair or not, 
But for Kobe, it's like, all right, we're just sort of maximizing every single dollar we can maximize. Oh, for sure. Like, I don't really find him, like, studying the craft where a guy like Dame, I was like, all right, he was, no one paid attention to him in college, so he's over here in his dorm room, like, pouring through Nas verses, like, really trying to get his game tight. So it's that difference between, here's a guy dabbling in something so that people can consume a product, versus here's a guy that's passionate about the craft. Now, I don't know if that's fair or not, but that's at least the perspective I take into that sort of thing. So maybe if I had a better attitude, I'd be like, damn, Kobe's killing it. But instead, I'm like, all right, Kobe's playing a role right now. I get it. Let me know when you're playing another role. And that sounded like post-Achilles Kobe rapping. Yeah, Is that fair? That's just not fair. wallowing in despair. Yeah. But that's good, man. That's uh, that's give the people what they want. If they want a big a big hit, put Kobe on there. Yeah. Well, coming up on the other side of this conversation, Harrison Barnes will actually freestyle uh, for 10 minutes straight. I don't believe you. On the, okay, well, we'll But see. let's see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, some Mavs news that actually just broke here in the last couple hours. Um, Antonius Cleveland is your newest Dallas Maverick. The Mavericks signed him to a two-way deal, waving John Clavel. Um Skin, immediate mm-hmm. reaction. My immediate reaction is it's good to have someone in the organization whose first name sounds like he fought in some ancient Greek war. He, I think was, he starred in the Gladiator. He starred in the Gladiator, so that's encouraging, right? We want people to go to war. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little I'm, – first of all, I'm not going to sit here in front like I know the Antonius Cleveland catalog. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say this. I think Gene Clavel's an NBA player. I, I understand, you know, obviously, you know, just looking, he's a bigger player. Uh, he he's done pretty well rebounding, at least statistically. And as the Mavericks tend to go with smaller lineups, maybe coaches looking for slightly bigger guards that can help in the rebounding department. Um, but I I hate saying goodbye to Gene Clavel because I felt like he's the epitome of what you want with a two way contract player. None of us thought he was going to make the team back in like uh, August, right, or whenever it was announced he was right. going to camp. And then he earned his way onto the team. And then I hell I was going to go to Frisco and watch him play because I I like the Gunner. Uh, one Maverick staffer compared him to a little bit to Eddie House, if you guys remember okay, him. I can see that. And uh, I was like, that's a good comparison. Because Eddie House was a smallish gunner. You know, he wasn't a two-guard, wasn't really a point, but he came off the bench and let it fly. So uh, we bid you adieu, uh, Gene Clavel, and we wish you the best. And I think we will see him again on down the road. Yeah, and I mean, it might even be, I don't know what happens to his fate now. Um, I don't know if he's tied with the Legends. We'll, we'll soon find out, but it might even be with the Legends or with the Mavericks again. Mm-hmm. I think the nature of those two-way contracts is, you know, people will probably assume that you're signed to a two-way deal, you're going to be there for the full year. Right. But it's really just a, a financial incentive to the player that is signed to not go overseas. Right. So these guys might be cut. I don't know. I mean, there might be a lot of movement with these guys, so Clavel might be back. I don't know. Uh, in the meantime, though, Cleveland fills a, a really gaping hole on the roster. A guy who can play the wing, guard threes, guard fours. Uh, he's six foot six, which makes him now one of two active players on the team, taller than 6'5", and shorter than 6'11". Is the other one Dorian Finney-Smith? Well, Harrison Barnes. Finney-Smith's not active, though. He's out. Oh, okay, He's okay, yes. Yep. yep. And obviously Harrison. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's, see, that's that's that, that's that the, the roster is either little playmakers or big guys. Yeah. You know, and, and Rick had the funny uh, forklift of centers line the other day. Yeah, and they're not too far behind on point guards, too. Yeah, so there's that little middle area. And quite honestly, for all the talk of stretch fours and playmaking point guards, the next direction that the NBA is going that you absolutely have to have is a playmaking big with handles. And we're going to see it when uh, Giannis comes to town 
Saturday night. And that's why, you know, at the rate the Mavericks are going, they will not make the playoffs. I'm not breaking news here. And if they have a higher pick, you know, you see a guy like like Bagley and go, well, does he fit this Ben Simmons, Giannis mold of this big, gigantic playmaker that bigs aren't used to covering? It used to be, well, bigs don't want to rush out there and, and cover these guys shooting shots. Yeah, I get that. Now do bigs want to pick up these guys and transition and stop? You watch Giannis get a rebound. Three seconds later, he is at the rim. And I'm not even talking about transition. I'm talking about picking up his dribble, pivot stepping, and making like an old school big man move. And that's the next direction. Do you have a 6'11 guy with handles that's, that runs like a gazelle? Because that's if you don't have one of those, that's where you're really starting to miss out. It's not only on the offensive end; it's can that six eleven guy also defend guys that are six foot two right. and seven foot one? Right. It's you watched, for example, last night Golden State versus Boston. I mean, there's obviously Curry and Kyrie Irving, but everybody else on the floor, whenever the game matters, is between like six six and six ten. Yep. So it's, that is, it's just a bunch of switchy wings. It's a bunch of switchy wings, and uh, and it took a while to get here, but we got here. God. Uh, just a, I don't know how much our Maverick fans are following other teams, but I was critical of Danny Ainge for trading the number one pick, and now he, I feel like he looks like a freaking genius. And Jalen Brown, wow. Yeah. I mean, he got in Kevin Durant's. Just he just he he deed him up last night. Durant's gonna hit shots because he's Durant. But that was really impressive. Mm. Boston, wow, very, very impressive. And Jason Tatum's been great so far, too. Part of that rookie class of Dennis Smith Jr. We'll talk about him later. Um, The Mavs' closest version of that kind of guy on the roster right now is probably Harrison Barnes, Mm -hmm. uh, who last year was more of a traditional back-down, spin-around, fadeaway guy. But this year he's trying to kind of change his game, evolve his game into more of a driver, more of an attacker, more of a slasher. Uh, This is something that we talked about him with him. Uh, yesterday, so do you want to do you want to give that a listen? I want to hear that right now. Let's do it. Joining us now on numbers on the boards is Matt's second year forward, Harrison Barnes. Harrison, two years in Dallas now. Yesterday, you were at Lincoln High School, DISD, uh, and you gave some free protective gear to the boys and girls varsity basketball teams, and you did it for nine other schools as well. So, even though you're still new to Dallas, you're already really becoming involved in the community. What is it about doing that for kids that? Um, you know, makes you feel good or makes you feel like you're contributing to their development? Well, I mean, yesterday it was kind of, you know, two-pronged, um, just in terms of, you know, it's good to, you know, be out in the community, talk to, you know, young kids, specifically, you know, basketball players on the boys and girls team, you know, talk about experiences. You know, they're fascinated by the NBA, you know, who's the toughest to guard, you know, what's the best thing about doing it, X, Y, and Z. But also the other part of that is, you know, wearing protective gear. You know, I didn't wear you know, a mouth guard or arm sleeves or anything like that until I got to the NBA after I had broken my nose, broken some teeth, taken a couple of bruises. So, you know, when you start going through that stuff, you're like, man, okay, now I should try to protect myself. And it's like, you know, I wish someone would have told me this back when I was in high school, you know, because I only thought that, look, you know, you, put, you wear a mouth guard when you play football or hockey. Um, and, you know, the game's becoming more athletic. You know, the guys are more physical. Girls are more physical as well. Um, so you want to just you know, try to protect yourself. So just talking to them about that type of stuff. The other night against uh, – who was in here the other night? No. Uh, Spurs. No, Spurs. Spurs. Yeah, okay. Yes. Other night against San Antonio. <laughs> You're putting the ball on the floor, driving the lane, and you uh, inadvertently elbowed Dirk in the face. So are you going to give him any protective gear? Elbowed Dirk in the face? You did. You gave him, gave him it, a little shot. It doesn't matter. Dirk doesn't have an original tooth in his head. Every one of those things have been knocked out of Dirk's grill. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy him some more teeth. I mean, that, that, <laughs> there's no, no issue whatsoever. 
Do you actually, as, as part of this, do you get to watch any high school basketball? I mean, you guys are so busy. But, like, did you get to see Lincoln play, or have you seen any local high schools play? No, I plan to uh, go see some of the games this season. Um, they had a kid there who I think committed to Oral Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some other really good competition within the state as well. So I uh, you know, definitely want to you know, get back and see those guys, give them a few tips, see where they can go. You're, you're still an incredibly young guy. You just come off more mature and older than you are, but yeah. you're still a really young guy. And so I'm wondering what it's like seeing high school basketball for you. I mean, hell, I'm in my 40s now, but I know like when I watch it, I have all these <laughs> thoughts about certain things. When you watch younger guys play, are you watching it from a critical standpoint, like from a coaching standpoint? Do you just enjoy it? How do you, how do you consume, you know, teenagers playing base, basketball? How does that, what do you think as that's going on? Well, I mean, I think now that I'm a little bit more removed, I can see, you know, the difference in skill. You know, and when you're in high school basketball and you're playing against guys, you, know, you can kind of look at a player and say, man, he's, he's dominating. But, you know, now you can kind of say, well, okay, he's dominating because he's bigger and stronger than everybody versus like, man, that guy's got some real talent. Oh, he might only had, you know, six points, eight points. It's like, no, no, no. Some of the things he can do, you know, if he continues to work on them and develop on them, that guy can be a really good player. So I kind of have that more of that aspect when I see guys play, when I see guys move and work out um, just in terms of watching the younger game. Is that something that you could see yourself doing maybe after your playing days? I mean, working, coaching, player development, so any, anything like that? Man, I'm, I'm strong on the committed to I would not be a good coach. Um, I feel that it, it's hard to – the transition of good players becoming good coaches has is, is not been great for us. Um, <laughs> but some people have done it, and some people can. Some, I think you give a, I have to have an eye for it. And for me, I don't know if I'd be good as a coach. Maybe as player development or like an assistant or something like that, but being a head coach, I don't know if I want to to deal with all that. What is the most, for you as a player, what's the most important aspect of coaching that you need to receive? What do you, what's the best thing for you? Um, that's a good question. The best thing for me, uh, I think, are the, are the film sessions. Kind of, you know, when I'm able to have a clear understanding of what, I, what a coach needs from me, what they expect for me to do, um, what are kind of like my, my baseline things that I have to bring to a game. I think that's, that's what I really do well and then anything on top of that I think you know is a bonus but kind of just having an understanding having that relationship where it's like look this is what I need you to do here are clips showing what I need you to do okay got it visualize it internalize it we're good okay that's the part I'm really interested in internalize it because you'll hear phrases like see the game or think the game and then there's also the repetition aspect of practice when you're on the floor how much thinking is going on versus how much reacting is going on if that I know that's a really obtuse question but the idea is there's a little bit of both happening right yeah well I think perfect example is um you know the angles of my drives um you know last year it was a big thing it was like okay get to the free throw line more so we look at you know a bunch of drives so when someone's like you know you just gotta you know drive more direct drive more direct I mean that's a very vague statement so you watch the tape you're saying okay you know a lot of my you know drives are you know more of at a banana cut angle you know what I'm saying you're kind of going out from the defense and then over so that's why you're not getting the contact to the rim because the rim is there you're veering out of bounds so then this year okay internalize it okay make more straight direct line drives because I've seen the tape because I've watched it okay now I know like how to get directly to the rim, how to draw that contact, and not just drive to the rim because you can get pushed off your, your route and then you're still going out of bounds, but how to make the ref blow that whistle. That is something that so many people have said about your game is that you need to get to the basket more, and you have this year. Your drives per game has doubled from last year, but 
it, it almost seems like it's more than just about the angle that you take. Like you yeah. talk about rhythmic ball handling and like yeah. balance, body balance. Like there's so much more that goes into getting to the basket than just how fast you are, how, how strong you are, how quick you are, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean like, uh, um, you know, Devin Harris would just be like, yeah, just drive to the basket and blow up. <laughs> and you're like, you know, Devin, you know, it's easy to you know say that, you know, when you, when you say it, but then when you actually like watch tape, when you see how guys get to the basket, I mean, then when you watch other people who get fouled at a very high rate, whether it's um, James Harden, DeMar DeRozan, whoever it may be, it's like, okay, there's there's a, there's actually a technique and there's a rhythm and there's a skill to this. It's not just like you're running in there and, you, and you're blowing up and you look at the ref like, you know, why is there no, no foul called? You know, so it's it's actually an art to it. You have to, I think, when somebody says it, it's taking the time to really follow up, watch the tape, see what they're talking about, then see yourself do it. And it's like, okay, you see the difference in why you're not getting that call. I think that's big. Well, you should have seen Devin in 2005. He was just a blur, man. I mean, he <laughs> yeah. was just a blur. So uh, I've always thought about this, especially with Dirk. And, you know, you don't want to give away things to a defender, like looking at the basket or knowing you're going to shoot. When you're practicing, do you practice by looking at different spots on the floor and getting the muscle memory going for the shot of that particular space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, specific play calls, you know, look, I'm going to get, you know, a shot here. So, you know, you master that or you say, look, you know, these are areas that I want to get to uh, that are my sweet spots. So I feel really comfortable, you know, if a play breaks down, five seconds left, I can get to this spot and I feel very confident I can make it a higher percentage as opposed to somewhere else in the floor. So you definitely have those areas that you have. And then once you get those kind of comfortable, then you want to add a, a different place where you feel comfortable making that shot. When you came here last year, did you have sweet spots? And now, do you? I mean, how much has your game changed whenever you watch film of yourself last year at this time as opposed to now? I mean, what has changed about your game? How far have you come? Yeah, I mean, it's um, well, last year it was more figuring it out, you know, kind of still adjusting the offense this year. Um, I, kind of, I kind of know, you know, coach can say, look, you know, we, you know, we need you to you know, simplify. We need you to get, you know, get baskets here, here, and here. Okay, cool. You know, I know exactly what he means by that. Last year, you know, we're still trying to figure it out. He's like, you know, do you want the ball here? Do you want the ball there? Is this a good play? Is that a good play? So you're still kind of figuring it out. But now it's much more regimented in terms of, like, we have a clear communication of what he expects from me and what I need to do. How much adjustment uh, have you had to make in regards to having a rookie point guard? The reason I ask is, you know, Darren Vett, JJ Vett, Devin Vett, and you've got a lot of isolation opportunities last year. Yeah. Now, you know, the way the NBA is, a lot of ball-dominant pick-and-roll guards. Yeah. So how much adjustment have you had to make as, make as, as Dennis figures out his way in this NBA world? Yeah, it actually hasn't been too bad. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's obviously, you know, very aggressive. He attacks against the rim, but in terms of how that's had to change my game or anything like that, um, it really hasn't hasn't made my life any harder. He's actually made it easier just in terms of his ability to get to the rim, attack, create shots. So um, it's been a great transition. Dirk is more than twice his age. You are much closer to Dennis in terms of age. <laughs> Do you guys have anything in common, though? You, uh, see, you seem kind of like an old soul. Oh, I mean, Dennis, oh, no, we got a lot of, we got a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tell him all the time, he should have went to UNC. You know, he <laughs> says he wanted to beat UNC. I said you were 0-2, so clearly that was faulty logic. Um, so now he did get had, Duke, though. He did get Duke, yeah. I keep telling him that was his best game of his career. He said, I didn't even have a triple-double that game. I said, come on, man. No one remembers who he got the triple-double against. Virginia Tech, come on, man. But um, now nah, we have a lot in common. I mean, he's a, he's a good kid. He's a, he's a little bit older than, you know, his age. So I think, uh, you know, we gel well together. Um, good humble kid you know so we, we have a lot of fun does he going to bring like a different mood to things I mean last year at the beginning of the year it was more veteran laden roster just kind of an older feel now you no. get like this young explosive guy I mean does it 
obviously the, the on-court product is different with him, but off the floor, do you feel any more energy because of having a young guy around? Yeah, I mean, well, um, yeah, I, th I think we have we have some some more energy because he's around. Um, you know, we're starting to joke now saying that he might be the second most athletic player on the team behind Maxi. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, I, I think uh, you know the, we have, he's he brings a lot of energy. You know, I think our early young guys bring some good energy, so we're a good group. Do you like to uh, do you like uh, artistic endeavors? You wrote some for the Players Tribune. And so I'm wondering how much you actually like to write, or was that more of just wanting to get an idea across? Do you like doing artistic type things? Uh, I'm not against it. You know, I think it's, you know, when the Players Tribune first came out, you know, was established, it was like, oh, it's kind of a unique idea, like you know, giving players a voice to kind of, you know, write their own stories and kind of get the message they want out there, as opposed to always having to, you know, wiggle and move within a story that, you know, somebody else is trying to write. Mm -hmm. um, so I like it for a specific purpose, but. You know, in terms of, you know, do I go home at night after practice and just, you know, journal in my diary about, you know, everything that's going on in the day? It's not quite my style. Right. Well, you did have the exclusive diary on Mavs.com last year. <laughs> yeah, first, I did. I don't know if you remember that or not. I did. Uh, there was some good stuff in there. Uh, other off-the-floor ventures, after spending a lot of time in the Bay, you and a lot of other players that have played for the Warriors, and, and you know, namely uh, Durant and Andre Iguodala, very involved with Silicon Valley, like startups, tech, all those things you spent some time at the at the tech summit this summer. Yeah. What about that industry has drawn you to it, and and how would you kind of summarize your involvement in that so far? Well, I mean, you know, tech tech is involved with with everything nowadays. I mean, it's involved with analytics. I mean, the fact of you know, you look at how the NBA was played a long time ago. You know, it's all about the logo games, all about the mid range. You know, mm -hmm. now it's like. Hmm. You know, if Dirk was a, as a rookie coming in, all those mid-range shots he was shooting, they'd be like, oh, he's a terrible player. <laughs> I mean, he's got to shoot threes or he's got to get dunks. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, th things that just change how we operate everyday life. Us doing this podcast right now. We're doing a podcast, going to share it on social media, connect with more people, technology bringing us together, connecting, you know, with fans around the world. I mean, it's involved with everything. So I think, you know, the opportunity, um, you know, just be around different tech, you know, see what different things are going on, see different innovations and um, companies that are trying to change the world. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. That, that whole thing is obviously exaggerated when you're playing for a team in the Bay because that's where all that stuff is going on. Yeah. Did you have uh, a thought that you wanted to get into that world coming out of college or did you see that around you were in New York Golden State and were like, man, this seems like a good space for a, a young guy that has access to things to get involved in? Well, it's actually funny. Um, it seems so long ago. So in 2012, right before I was drafted, I didn't have any social media. Uh -huh. So I just huh. got into Twitter and I just got into Facebook. And when I was drafted out there, they're like, hey, you know, why don't you come down and you know, kind of check out some of the campuses? I'm like, oh, campuses? Like, oh, yeah, the tech companies don't have campuses. I was like, oh, like college, that's kind of cool. So first place I go was Yahoo. So I go to Yahoo, check it out. I'm like, yo, these tech people are living great they have sleeping pods <laughs> they have beach volleyball on, 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 on the campus lunch rooms then I went to Twitter then I went to Facebook then I so I go into these different places and that's what really kind of um, just got my mind working because I was never really exposed to like social media and all that all that type of stuff I was more like you know news articles basketball articles I mean that was my only real um, connection with technology that way so that's what kind of really piqued my interest naturally and then I just kind of just grew from there and got to know more and Realize that you know 
technology and venture capital is, is huge. Would you look at my 401k for me and kind of move some stuff around? I feel like you know more about this than I do. Yeah, I can take a peek. Yes! Yeah, that, that's it. all you need. Uh, before we get you out of here, so you spent four years in Golden State. Now you're, you've been here for about a year, year and a half. So you're kind of familiar with the area. You're familiar with the organization. You know, as as this team is looking to, you know, improve, add new players, kind of, you know, reinvent this culture around you and around Dennis, you know, what would you, if you were making a sales pitch of why someone would want to play for the Mavs, knowing what you know about the team now, I mean, what would you, what would you say? What have you learned about this organization since you've been here? And what about it, would, you know, appeals to you and would appeal to other players around the league? Man, um, I think first and foremost is the support. I mean, I think there's unbelievable fan support. Um, you know, last year, I remember we had the rough start. I'm like, man, I'm sure, you know, the arena's just going to be empty. Because, you know, I've, I've seen what it's looked like, you know, when you go on the road sometimes and, you know, people can barely fill up the arena. I'm like, yeah, we're 4-17. and 17. This joint is packed every night. And it's not even opposing fans. It's our fans. Yeah. So I was like, it was unbelievable. Um, so I think the fan support is great. I think, you know, we have favorable media here. And I feel like, and this, this may be you crazy. Yeah, he's talking about everybody but me. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I think this, this may this may this may backfire on me at some point, but I'm gonna say it. You know, I feel like our media like actually you know generally cheers for us to win. Like they don't like take like digs. You don't have like the weird rift that you have. Um, you know, in some media markets, you know, I feel like people, you know, fans, media, everyone's very supportive. I think it's a great place to live. Um, the weather's great, and as an organization, I feel like. Um, you know, it's first class. You know, they take they take good care of us. Um, coaching staff's very involved. It's a very family-like atmosphere. You don't get that at all places in the league. I've been fortunate. Uh, both organizations I've been in, it's been a family-like atmosphere. So, you know, Dallas is, uh, you know, Southern love. I tell people this all the time. Dirk Nowitzki gave a lot of media people careers. I'm one of them. Yeah. We don't have Dirk here. A lot of us don't have jobs. <laughs> so, uh, so we try to be pretty good to you guys. Y'all are good oh, to I us, I appreciate man. that. I appreciate hey, that. Hey, thanks for the time, Harrison. This was great. I appreciate it. Thank you, Harrison. Good stuff, as always, from Harrison Barnskin. Uh, one thing that was really interesting to me was him talking about how he kind of did, like, banana-shaped drives, mm -hmm. and now he's more just straight line going right at the basket. Um, the other that's a, thing—that's a Carlisle thing, right? When he talks about the geometry of the game, that's the sort of thing he's talking about. He, fruit, yeah, the fruit, the shape of fruit. No, just like <laughs> it's such a—it's almost like uh, it's almost like the half-court game is a lot like pool, you know. And it's like these real specific angles make such an incredible difference when you're talking about the type of athletes and how they can close and react. So, wasted motion, which I always think of, when we talk about that, I always think of Steve Nash. He was the epitome of the most efficient use of energy and motion possible but those wasted uh, movements and wasted angles could be the difference in getting a good shot off versus heaving something with one second on the shot clock yeah and how seriously does Carlisle take it if you look at the Mavs practice court at the AAC whenever they were down in the basement there was literally tape all over the floor at different angles showing this is where you go this is the path you take I mean I it is stuff. it is extremely precise high level yeah but like you said every inch makes a difference um, the other thing that Barnes was talking about that kind of caught my attention was what it's like to play with Dennis, uh, how he's, Dennis is kind of changing what Barnes does and making things, making some things easier, some things maybe a little more difficult. I mean, Dennis is obviously a 19-year-old rookie, so he's figuring a lot of stuff out. Rick has said that, Dennis has said that on this very podcast. Um, but the Mavericks, you know, one way to make, basically make his job easier to help him learn more on the fly is to just give him the ball every time down and hand him the keys to the offense. And uh, he has really been kind of the guy i mean barnes is still your leading scorer on the team but dennis now 20 points in three of his last four games mm. seven straight games at least 15 points uh and now 
you want to talk about stats, he leads all rookies in the NBA in usage rate, which measures possessions used. So field goal attempts, free throw attempts, turnovers. His usage rate is 29.9%, which is far and away the highest on the team and also the most of any rookie in the NBA. Yeah, that's crazy. And I'm I'm doing this off memory. I think Russell Westbrook last year was like up in the 40s, if yeah, I believe. Yeah, and that was like all-time, right. all-time high. It's just to kind of give people a little bit of a perspective. And obviously, if you watched an OKC game last year, everything began and ended with Russ. So, so Dennis is very important in that regard. You know, it was real interesting because, uh, you know, one of the statistical themes of last year was – Harrison Barnes in isolation, right? And that's almost like an old Carmelo Anthony kind of thing, right? And so I was like, okay, now now that Harrison's found his role and he settled in, he's got to make this big adjustment. But I loved his answer. And and even though he does have a Senator Barnes kind of vibe and he's always going to say the right polished thing, he was genuine in his answers like, no, 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 Dennis is making things easier for me. And if he's making things easier as a 19-year-old with, you know, whatever it is, 12 games under his belt or whatever we have now – can you imagine when he learns this thing? It's really, really exciting, I think. And, I, I, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier. You know, get, the wins aren't there, but the competition level is high, and Dennis is growing and doing big things. And so as long as this team – I look, uh, winning or losing impacts everybody. Everyone talks about the, the players on the floor and the coaches – but people that work for the Mavericks, it impacts them. People like me that work in media that follow the team closely, it impacts all of us. It's not a good thing. But this isn't the type of losing yet where it's like I dread anything about it. I still look forward to every one of these games. I look forward to the growth. And part of the reason is Harrison continues to grow, and then this Dennis Smith Jr. thing is really uh, an, uh, it's it's pretty extraordinary that he's doing what he's doing and the role he's doing at the age he's doing it. and they're playing off each other really well too. yes like, absolutely it's, it's obviously a learning process to learn to play with a new guy but but Dennis has taken so naturally to the offense and I think Barnes has taken very naturally to him their best game of the year was that Washington game I think they combined for like 56 points or something 54 awesome. points yeah yeah I mean they were just playing so seamlessly together in that two-man game that's obviously a huge element of of Rick's offense you know whenever this team was winning a ton of games with Dirk, so you wonder if the Dennis Barnes thing is kind of the next iteration Mm -hmm. of that duo. Right. Uh, And I think their games do complement each other. I mean, that's two guys that want to get, you know, inside the lane that can exploit size, quickness, speed, mismatches, all those things. So, I mean, they seem to to blend very naturally together. Absolutely. And I I think also, you know, it's it's funny to say this because the wins aren't there, but it's ahead of schedule, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm never like one to go, oh, yeah, this rookie's going to, you know, come in here and be incredible. I was like, okay, let's relax. He's going to have to – and I still think Dennis has to relearn release points. I mean, we've seen that with, like, Kyle Anderson blocking his shot and different things like that. That just comes with experience and going up against these guys. So there's he's a, never played against guys that can block him before. And if there was, there was one on the floor, not two or three. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just completely different. And, and the, if you're going to release points, what are you talking about? Just watch J.J. Barea. He's the master of it. Mm. This guy is two foot six, and he rarely gets his shot blocked. It's awesome, and that comes with experience and going through it and trials and tribulations. J- uh, JJ never had the seven foot vertical leap either. No, never. So you know, Dennis is like, ah, I've got this. Oh, I don't have this. Okay, so there's a learning curve there. But as far as all this goes, I'm very pleased with his development. And uh, you know, there while there's minor things that obviously he has to adjust, there's nothing glaring that I've seen so far to cause any, any pause with Dennis Smith Jr. selection. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all it's all a growing process, and he's shown a lot of glimmers of the kind of player that he can be in five or six years. But along that learning curve, I think, is is kind of learning how to 
find your shot, get your shot, but also keep guys involved. Right. And, and being able to make those reads, like, instantly. I mean, J.J. is the, the master of the call for screen. If it's not there, then get a re-screen. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, pass and cut and move. Keep the ball moving. Keep the ball flying around. And, I mean, Carlisle's offense is at its best whenever they're doing just that, whenever the ball is, you know, zinging all over the place. And I think in these last few games, really, I mean, all season, whenever there's been one guard out there, if Dennis is by himself, then the ball is sticking a lot. I mean, Dennis is being asked to do a lot. Whenever there's multiple guards out there, sometimes it just kind of gets bogged down. I think everyone is sort of still trying to find their role, and a lot of that does fall on Dennis's shoulders. That's something that that Rick and and Barnes and Dennis also have talked about. Just they they've got to keep moving the ball. Yeah, and if you look at it's if you look at Golden State, San Antonio, Boston, what has been like the best offenses to watch? It's all ball movement. So Kyrie Irving can't be a ball stopper in Boston, for example. All this stuff, well, you know, it can't be Steph Curry dribbling around it. That if you look at it, Golden State they got all these talented players, but they move the ball constantly. Ball movement's going to get you open shots. And so one of the things that's you know, pretty interesting about this is, for me, the best Dennis Smith Jr. comp was actually Steve Francis. Uh, and I used to make jokes that Steve Francis led the league in number of raw dribbles, like how many times <laughs> the ball hits the ground, which is a bad thing. And I didn't mean that as a negative thing, but when I looked at Dennis's size and his explosion, I thought – He's more Steve Francis than Russell Westbrook. However, I thought he saw the floor better than Steve Francis, so I was very, very encouraged. But it's still, when you're a guy that can get your shot at any time and you're trying to figure out how you're being defended, and I thought San Antonio was a great example. Rick went to J.J. very early in the third quarter mm-hmm. and put Dennis off the ball so that the ball wouldn't stick. I thought that's that's he didn't say this. That's what my opinion was. He might be, ah, oh, shut up, Skin, you're an idiot. <laughs> but that was what I thought happened. I thought the offense reacted positively. And, again, that's learning for Dennis. You can get to where you want to get on the floor, do it quickly and decisively. Don't take the air out of the ball because that's gonna it's going to put your teammates to sleep and you're not going to get good shots, and that's part of that growth as well. And when you watch J.J. play, I think he kind of has a reputation among fans as a guy that just pounds the rock. Mm-hmm. but. Every time he dribbles, every time the ball hits the floor, it's like for a purpose. Yeah. So he's either going at the basket or he's holding on to his dribble, you know, continuing his dribble, waiting for the big man to come set a right. screen. It's, it's, he's not just dribbling the ball just to dribble, and I think that's something that you have to learn over time. But, but one thing that I think that Dennis and Barnes both have, have kind of – they're working through these growing pains is whenever they play against defenses that can switch everything. Mm-hmm. Cleveland is a great example of that. They right. did not have any guards on their team that night. Yeah. Shumpert was their shortest starter. <laughs> so they're just switching every screen. And whenever you're playing against a team that can switch – well, Dennis, if he switches off onto a power forward, that power forward's still quick enough to stay in front of him. Right. Barnes, if the one switches onto him, well, he, the one is still tall enough to defend him. Right. So they, the Mavs are a team that hunts for mismatches, but whenever they get that switch, if they don't have an advantage, I, I think that's the next big growth for Dennis and Barnes is realizing, recognizing what to do whenever they get what they want, but it's not exactly an advantageous situation for them. you got to recalibrate quickly because yep. what you think is about to happen ain't there. Yep. So then what? Mm. Are you prepared? Are you backing up, rethinking through all this? Mm. You know, we talked about that with Harrison, the point where it's reactionary versus having to think on the floor. Exactly. And, and all this comes with time, party people. Yeah, and watching J.J. and Dirk is a great example of that. These guys have played together for 10 years, and sometimes it takes that long. You can take yeah. 10 years, but they just know if the first screen isn't there, keep the dribble alive, re-screen, go the other way. Right. All right, well then, okay, so they're taking away your right hand. All right, so let's go left, let's force middle. Like, they just have such a good synergy, and I think that Barnes and Dennis will eventually get there, but this is kind of what that development process looks like. Sometimes it's not always glamorous. You know, sometimes there's going to be some rough patches, but they're they're working through it. I think they, they identified 
the solution. You got to keep the ball moving. But it's easy to say that, but you know they have to they have to work through it to figure out how to do that. They didn't just walk in the door and they were Destiny's Child. Yeah, they had to get together and rehearse some songs and write and perform. So before they became the force that was Destiny's Child, they had to get together and figure it exactly. out. Exactly, and then they all went on to have exceptional solo careers hopefully destiny's child the mavs version of destiny's child can stay together forever god i hope dennis is beyonce well on that note skin bobby what's your favorite destiny's child song soldier soldier okay that rolls hard we uh that's gonna be our outro cool all right let's blast it what's up yeah thanks for uh thanks for tuning in it was a good episode, Skin. I enjoyed it, man. Let's yeah. do it again soon. Yeah, let's do it again. How about next week? What I'm are you in. Doing? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it while eating turkey. That is numbers on the boards. Happy early Thanksgiving. Enjoy some Mavs basketball this weekend, and we'll see you next week. Numbers on the boards with Jeff Skinwade and Bobby Corrala.